This is the Horse Radio Network. Fall is here, if you can believe it. This week, we're sharing our favorite must-haves for the looming winter coat season, and Brianna Noble joins us to talk about the power of horsemanship. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy happy hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 77 of Heels Down Happy Hour. How's it going, guys? Going on. So I have to say, though, fall is over here. We're getting snow on Friday. Before Halloween. Oh, my gosh. Aren't you guys happy that you don't live up north? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, I couldn't either. That's crazy. I know. I'm hoping it doesn't stick. I'm not ready. I mean, like sleigh wise, I am so ready, but not, not yet. <laughs> not, not in October. Oh my gosh. This episode is brought to you by Eco Gold. The flip half pad in matte is vegan and it's so elegant. If you guys have not seen it, you have to check it out. It's Eco Gold's newest half pad that has a classic look with superior support and impact protection for your horse's back. It's non-slip and shimmable and perfect fit for every horse. Plus, it's reversible, so you get two looks for the one. Go and check it out on ecogold.ca. So I have a fun drink this week. Uh, it's actually from Reese Witherspoon. Have you guys seen her little TikTok video? No. I did. It was really cute. Okay. I liked it. Yeah. It's a, it's a cute video, but the drink itself is just apple cider a shot of Aperol, and then you top it off with Prosecco. But the video itself is just super cute. And I tried to, you know, be as unbiased as I could because I'm mad at Reese Witherspoon right now. What? Why? It's a long story. It's a I was going to say, story. do you know her personally? <laughs> I do not. I do not. But she she did this, like, contest to be a librarian as part of, like, her book club. And I applied and I'm, I'm still waiting on the results. So if you're hearing this, Reese, please hire me. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'll, I'll show, I'll send my uh, video that I had to make for my, like for my entry. I'll put it in the group. It's pretty, I think it's pretty funny. I laughed at myself. Okay. <laughs> Can't wait to see this. That's kind of scaring me. <laughs> there, I'm not going to lie. Cats and ponies oh, and poop. Of course there's cats. Not and my poop. poop. Of course poop. So did you guys see, I have some pretty exciting news. Things are back like we've been talking about, back up and running and kind of feeling a little bit closer to normal with the competition season. But Poe in France did just host the only five-star of the year. And had some great turnout. And surprisingly, a lot of competitors with a lot of like different people involved. We got to see some good horses back out. Laura Collette won on the London 52. And Piggy March, who was Piggy French, was in second with Tim Price in third. They all put in some of their personal best dressage scores. Like it was incredible some of the scores that they threw out this week past weekend so it's just really good congrats to all of them for and everybody for having an awesome run at the five-star level and we're excited to like hopefully see more especially since 
We did just get an announcement that badminton is going to run in 2021. It might look a little bit different, and they're saying it might be, in quotes, behind closed doors. So we might not be open to spectators, but they're encouraging that it's encouraging that it's actually going to run so that riders and people can start to prepare for it. So I'm really excited that five stars are coming back and that we're going to have some more and competitions are looking really, really well. Yeah. It was really exciting. Yeah. To watch, you know, the results come in over, you know, over the weekend, just to like have something to pay attention to again. You know what I mean? Like a big competition was fun. Absolutely. I, I have something like on dressage. Um, so I know Justine, you wrote about this, I think back in the end of last year where we talked about top hats being kicked out and FEI enforcing helmets for all disciplines. Mm-hmm. And well, there's been some new developments in that. So it's still all set to go ahead. The ban in the beginning of 2021, but some, there's been a lot of pushback recently that, you know, top riders are still asking that they be allowed to, you know, keep it because it's an important, the top has an important part of their like sports identity. I mean, they don't want it to be outlawed for like four and five stars. And actually Jackie Brooks, um, who we have, we've had in the podcast, she made a really good comment about it that I think, um, you know, I think sums up the way that I feel about it as well. You know, she said, we have young people in the sport that emulate these top riders. You know, they want to look like these riders. They want to be able to ride like these riders someday, you know, and they want to dress like these riders. And the last thing we need is for, you know, the top riders to set a bad example, you know, and end up hurt because they wore a top hat, you know, to be like the champions of the sport. Yeah. I really agree with that too. I mean, just, have you ever worn a top hat? I just feel like they're just becoming less and less relevant anyway. I have years and years ago. And honestly, it took me so long to put my hair together for the top hat when the helmet <laughs> really? came out. Oh, it would it was like a 45-minute process. I had to bobby pin my top hat to my head and my bun. Like I just have so much hair. And even though I had a top hat like fitted specifically for my head and everything, it was a hassle because I guess my head's like shaped weird or something. Cause it didn't fit very, like it just would kind of blow off. So I'd have to like Bobby pin the whole thing to my head. It was, it was the biggest process. So not only when the helmets like started to kind of, it was at Kentucky one year was the first time I remember not wearing my top hat and putting my helmet on. And I was one of the few riders that kind of was for it, but a lot of it was Doug. He's like all about safety and my dad. So we ended up, I wore it, but partly I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you guys about a helmet because I don't want to put this top hat on. Like it takes me so much longer to put top hat on, but it was only for a couple years that we really wore them for me, at least at the FEI, (laughs) I was very quick to jump on the helmet bandwagon. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's like, you know, the hunt caps and stuff like that, that it's kind of seeing its days are over and you're going to see a lot more different helmets and the MIPS clips and all that technology that you're going to really see a lot more people in just helmets and not top hats for everything. I just feel like it's hard for the outsiders to take us seriously if we don't take our own safety equipment seriously. You know what I mean? 
like top hats are such an easy thing to make fun of for somebody who doesn't know the sport and they see us in the Olympics and we're wearing, you know, Butler top hats. You know, I understand that there's a long history and tradition with that look. And I, I still respect that and think it's great, but I mean, why wouldn't you wear a helmet? We, you know, like we've, I feel like we've entered an age where safety is so important and people unfortunately have learned the hard way that like, Wearing a helmet can save your life. So I just, I think it's funny that people still wanted to petition to keep it around, you know, like there are still diehard people out there, but yeah, well, and they argued too, that there haven't been any serious accidents in that level of competition, which, you know, you would hope obviously that the top riders of the sport wouldn't have those accidents as frequently, you know, but at the same time, it doesn't mean it can't happen, Right. you know, and the. And what I think is interesting is there's still disciplines that have exemptions. So like vaulting doesn't need or require safety helmets right now. And still in driving, it's only mandatory for marathon drivers and grooms, which I think is interesting because I think driving is super dangerous. You know, I mean, as someone who's done it with a lot of babies, I guess it's more dangerous than really broke driving horses. But, you know. I feel like you, you've got more things that could go wrong, you know, but sure. I guess we'll see. We'll uh, see what happens, you know, but like it's January, right? Like January one, this goes into effect. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What about, what about you, Justine? You have something FEI too related, don't you? I do. So the, the Olympic games has, you know, has their own committees and they're how they set up and prepare for the games every year. And they have a, a diversity and gender equality group. And they named an FBI official to that group, which is pretty cool. So Sabrina Ibanez, who's the secretary general of the FBI, was appointed chair of the Summer Olympic Federation's diversity and gender equality consultative group is what they're calling it. But I think that's, I think it's really interesting. And it's a great, it's great for our sport because we're already a sport that, well, we're one of very few if, maybe the only one where men and women compete against each other at the Olympic games. Right. So I think our sport has a perspective that's very different compared to other Olympic sports. And I just think this is a great opportunity for, you know, for equestrian sport to just be highlighted even further, right? Like just elevate the sport more among the Olympic games. So I'll be curious to see what this group does as they get started and, you know, how our own FEI repre- representative will represent equestrian sport going for- further with all this. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Just a shout out to everybody who's contributed to our Patreon. We really appreciate you guys supporting our show and helping us continue to produce it. So if you are interested in contributing to our Patreon, go to www.patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash heels down. All right, guys, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions since Jess, I know you are also in a warm weather climate most of the time, but, but you know, it's, it's still fall. Horses coats are changing. It's almost blanket season. Ugh, I don't even want to think about it, but I wanted to ask you, what are your, like, what, what are your must haves in the barn in terms of grooming products cleaning products, anything like that, that you have to have on hand this time of year, like as we start getting into colder weather. Ellie, do you want to start since you are basically our cold weather expert? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry for everyone that actually lives north of Pennsylvania because uh, I'm as high up as we go. So my biggest thing is, especially where I'm at, it gets cold so fast that I don't blanket as much as I used to, which is interesting to me. I let them grow more of a coat um, just because it gets so cold here. Like, I mean, in the negatives and with wind chills, since I'm on a freaking mountain, um, you know, I just, I don't blanket them really until it gets like 38 and then I'll start putting sheets and stuff on because I'm like, you got to get used to it, you know? But I think my all time favorite product that I need every fall, especially since it gets so muddy is my Cavallo boot because this is prime shoe pulling weather. When it's like kind of slippery and um, that I, for some reason, Berkeley loves to pull his shoes this time of year. So that's what I like because then I can still put them outside. Do you guys have those? I know what they are, but I've never used them. Yeah, I've oh. never had to use them. They make my life so much easier because if like my farrier can't get out till the next day. I just like throw it on, throw the horse out and huh. he just wears his little, wears his little sneaker when, uh. While I look for the shoe. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah. And then in terms of like, we're going to look forward to uh, shedding. Biggest thing, dryer sheets. Because I hate static. Drives me crazy. So I like keep them in all like my brush bags and stuff. And I like rub them on me so I don't like get as covered in hair. Um, plus they make me smell nice. Um, <laughs> which not that anyone smells me because I have a barn all by myself. But um, that... <laughs> <laughs> Matt probably is like, why is she rubbing dryer sheets on herself? Amazing. But that, and then, and then I recently, my mom got me for Christmas one of those like groom ninja things where it's like a shed blade, but it's like a, it's like a piece of wood instead of like the traditional like shed blade. And I like that a lot just because it's easier on my hand. But what about you, Jess? I'm sure you probably do more blanketing and stuff. I'm just a uh, we do feral up here. <laughs> yeah, we we start clipping like right away. And our favorite clippers are the wall um, clippers that honestly, I don't even know what the model is. I'm terrible about it, but they look like like normal, like small clippers in your hand. But we have like two of them and they can rotate and everything. And we use those with like a T10 or T84. We've been going back to the T10s and we really like them. As well as, like, it's just easy to do their whole body. I feel like the big ones, I have kind of smaller hands. And not that I haven't clipped anytime, like, soon. But I feel like they're just kind of harder to clip with. So all of our girls seem to like the smaller ones that are kind of, like, in your hand with a cord. I'll have to look up the model because I'm sorry I'm terrible and didn't have them. But we love, like, the wall ones of those. As I think it's blankets, the, the KM10s, right? The KM10s. I talked to Courtney. Yes, yeah, the yeah, I'm like, one of you guys will probably know more than I do because I'm terrible. I just know I have to like send them off to get because what we do is like once a year we get our clippers like refurbished type thing. So they last longer. Mm -hmm. So I send mine off to like, I think it's called Huff's Wholesale Clipper Service. It's in like Missouri or something. And they do a great job. They like refurbish it if they have to like fix little cords or whatever. They seem really reasonable on price and they make our clippers last a whole lot longer. So, I mean, cause Courtney, Courtney clips something crazy, like 
150 a year or something crazy. Like it's nuts. Like she clips 150 times for one season or something. So we clip way, way a lot. But anyways, as for blankets, we have found anything that has a neck. We use light mediums and heavies. We love the Rambos, but I know a lot of people use all kinds of different things. The one thing that we recommend in our barn is that they always have necks. Cause if you spend all this time clipping and you then just put like a half sheet, like the sheet with no neck, then their neck gets hairy and you have to clip again in like a week. So it makes the clipping last a lot longer if it's all the way the neck, because the mediums and the heavies have fill in their necks. So it's the same kind of weight all through the blanket. So that is like our biggest thing. Everybody has to have like light, medium and heavy turnout with necks. And that's like our biggest kind of not hack, but just the tip I say for blanketing, if that makes sense. Sure. That's interesting. See, I blanket so infrequently too. So this is all new to me to hear. Yeah. So do you clip right away though? I do like I already clipped. I clipped like in September, (laughs) but you get down to 30. Sometimes. Yeah. Like when I lived in like Northern Florida, yeah, you'd get a little bit more of a cooler weather like earlier in the season. Um, I always thought my horse's coat would thin out like the longer he was in Florida and, but that just no. hasn't happened. Yeah. He still just gets a pretty thick winter coat. <laughs> so I clip him right away. Yeah, no. And I think that's just not even like, I think it's different per horse. Like we have horses yeah. that are super thin and they're never really going to grow a big coat. And then my horse high society, we called him Trevor. He had to get clipped every two weeks. Almost. He was wow. so hairy. He, Oh, I mean, he had like a pony hay mane and tail and he had like the biggest fur you could ever think of. So if he started to get like a little bit, we'd have to clip like in the middle of show season, probably every two weeks. It was ridiculous. And I'm talking, he wore all the blankets and everything else. And it was ridiculous. And then the next couple have been a lot easier for poor Courtney, but that was probably the worst one I've ever had. His main, I mean, his coat was so bad. Wow. Yeah. See, now that I don't show as frequently, uh, you know, I'm not doing full body clips. All I do are, you know, fetlocks so they don't get like icicles hanging off of them. So yeah, it's more of a make my life easier. So the mud's not there and easier to clean and stuff like that. Now we clip legs, everything all the way up. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I I just hate the shedding part, you know, like when they're, they're growing out their next coat and there's just hair everywhere. You know, that's what I hate. And I just, you know, I've tried all the different things, you know, like the, like the shedding blades and all that stuff. And I just like, honestly thinking like, think just a good curry comb is what matters most to me. It's just like a curry a ton. Um, but yeah. other, other than that, I don't really like this time of year is our best time of year. Cause it's like less fungus stuff. Cause it's drier. <laughs> it's better right. for their feet here. Um, like, so this is the better time where their, their coat and their hooves are less maintenance. So I don't have a ton of like must have except for the few blankets that I have, you know, our, my trainer likes for us to keep, you know, like a lightweight, like almost like a rain sheet. Um, and then the most I have is like probably what you guys might consider a medium weight blanket. Like the hundred? Maybe if that, you know, and then, and then I have like a cooler, you know, that I keep in my blanket bag and that's it. And then I have like one nice stable sheet that I take for shows. 
Oh, you know what else that I just remembered that I think is a must-have for this season are those Irish knits, like the waffles. Oh, they're great. Yeah, those are great. I like them too. I forgot. Yeah, especially we use those all the time. Yeah, especially for me since I don't since I'm trying to keep their coats on. Like that's such a nice thing to do because it. I feel like it takes the takes some of the work out when I'm having to towel dry them and stuff like that after when they get all sweaty. No. Right for sure. Definitely. Waffle sheets. Irish knits. I actually made one for my dog. Fun fact. Uh, she smells she bad did. all the time. <laughs> I'm just waiting That's for you to make amazing. one for your cat now. Right? I made I my cat, cat sweater. Did I not? Did I not send you guys a picture of the sweater? No. No. All right. I'll, I'll post this. it in the Facebook group. She hates it. So I gave it to my friend who has one of those Sphinx hairless cats. But I did make a cat sweater. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, everybody, I'm really excited to introduce our guest this week, Brianna Noble. You might remember her name from when she was on our diversity panel earlier in the year. Brianna is the founder and owner of Mulatto Meadows, which is an equestrian business dedicated to expanding the accessibility of riding and horsemanship to communities historically excluded from the equestrian world. Brianna is especially passionate about introducing horsemanship and riding to youth of color and economically disenfranchised populations through her program called Humble. And Brianna rides and trains horses, and she rides both English and Western disciplines. Welcome, Brianna. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me back on. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, welcome. We're so thrilled to have you back. Um, you know, so the last time we talked to you during that diversity discussion, I remember clearly that you mentioned that at one time you wanted to be a show jumper. Like that was what you aspired to do when you started riding. And I'm just curious, what diverted you from that path? Money. Yeah. Very simple. It's yeah. very, very expensive. Um, and so it's something that even though it was my dream and passion, you know, it's kind of my my childish little dream to say I wanted to be the first black woman to compete in show jumping in the Olympics but to me it's it's really just a dream you know it's not something that's uh, even in line with ever being attainable you know just thinking of the cost of getting out there being more than the cost of you know all of my my bills and my household and business put together right yeah so, so I have a question. I ride English and Western too. And I found that a lot of people in the English riding world kind of know nothing about and are kind of gun shy about the way that the Western disciplines work. Do you think that's a detriment? I definitely do. I think we all have something that we can learn from each other. And the really cool thing or the really cool way that I think is personally like not all that different for me. Horsemanship is a language that transcends all disciplines. So at the base of everything that we all do, um, it, it's supposed to be horsemanship. And when we look at it like that, then pretty much all that we do is simply a change of pack and style. I like that a lot. Me too. That's a great way to look at it. And mm -hmm. so like, you know, you talk about horsemanship and stuff like what does the practice mean to you in that sense? I think for me, when I try to describe horsemanship or riding or anything like that is I think of everything that I do with the horse is having a conversation. 
And whenever I have a conversation with anyone or anything, my goal is to just have a better conversation. I want to be clear. I want to be concise. I want to be to the point. And I want to be sure that I am understood. And so every, for me, horsemanship is just basically trying to have a better conversation with your horse each time you you deal with them so that you guys understand each other clearly. And then if you understand each other clearly, then you get your job done well, whatever that job may be. So you talk about like understanding clearly. Well, obviously there's bumps in the road and you become with problems. When you find a problem in that situation, how do you end up handling it? Like what's a good training example of how you handle certain problems that you come across? Very simply is you have a discussion and the way that you have a discussion is just really depends on what's going on in that situation. Because I think sometimes it can be very easy to get angry or lose your temper, but sometimes you have to take a step back and ask yourself, how did I ask this question? You know, is this something that the horse understood, you know, or is the horse actually really giving you a good answer that you don't respect in that moment. So for instance, if you, if I asked you, what day is it? A correct answer or the answer that I'm looking for, let's say maybe the day is Tuesday, you know, but you might answer with the day is the 27th, which is technically a a relevant answer, right? It's not the answer that I was looking for, but you did answer my question and you did answer my question correctly, you know, but I didn't, might not have asked my question clearly enough. I could maybe phrase it as, Hey, what day of the week is it today to get the answer that I wanted? So when I'm training horses, that's generally, um, how I look at training is I just, um, if I don't necessarily get the answer I want, then I I might ask myself first, you know, what, how can I ask this question better? What can I do? You know, is this horse able to do what I'm asking? Does he clearly understand what I'm asking? You know, I might ask that horse, you know, isn't that horse capable of doing what I'm asking? And then I might ask, does that horse even care about what I'm saying? That's really interesting to think about, you know, because just the communication that you, you know, you have to be the leader in communicating with your horse, right? But I also find it really interesting how you incorporate that in almost as a fundamental principle in your business. Do you see horsemanship in general just as a way to explain the bond between a human and horse? And I wonder if you feel like being able to explain that and using horsemanship to show what you can do with an animal, like by by showing the relationship you can have with the animal. Do you feel like that helps make the sport more accessible to more people when you're introducing horses to people who, you know, who really wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to be around them otherwise? Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Um, I think you can let me know if it makes sense after I give you my answer. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But for me, horsemanship is just communication. And to answer your question, you know, how does that affect people that have never been around horses and everything like that? I think it makes, when they learn a little bit about horsemanship, it helps them to better communicate. And sometimes they can be, uh, it helps them get 
their point or articulate themselves better. And I'll give kind of an example. Right now, I'm working with a partnership with uh, East Bay Agency for Children, and we are working on a pilot program with parents and kids. A lot of the kids may have some anxiety issues, you know, breakdowns in communications in their family. Um, so I had 10 families out this last weekend, and we we worked together to kind of build better communication between the pairs. And one exercise that we did at the end of our day, and this was our second day working with the families, um, was I took all of the horses I had, so about eight or nine horses, and I threw them together into one fairly large paddock. And we sat down and we looked at herd dynamics and we talked about, you know, I had the kids guess, say, hey, who do you guys think is the boss? Who is the bully? Who's a leader here? Is the leader necessarily the same as the most bossy or dominant horse, you know? And we talked about all those different dynamics, you know? And um, the last question that I asked these kids is, hey, who do you think you are? Who describes who you are in a herd? And I had this one little girl and she goes, I think I'm like Mr. Muffin because I used to be really mean. Mr. Muffin is a horse that we have that used to be a stallion and he's fairly aggressive. He likes to attack the other horses, doesn't really have good communication skills. So generally in a herd, he's like, once we settle down, he's all by himself. Nobody wants to be around him. And so this little girl recognized in herself that, you know, I was bossy, I was pushy. And because I, I treated people that way, lots of people didn't want to be around me. So she said, I used to be like Mr muffin but after being here and making new friends i think i'm like dapper dan and dapper dan is a horse that we have that's very like mid-range in the herd you know he gets along with any and everyone you know he's a really even-tempered gelding that can kind of make friends you know wherever we put him and so um that learning that little piece of horsemanship and just sitting around and watching some herd dynamics that little girl was able to then articulate you know how she felt and how she was able to change some of the negative tendencies tendencies that she had. I love that. That's a great example. Can, can I just say that I, I love your horses' names? I, I like those a lot. Right? <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so I guess going back to the beginning, how did you first get into horses? And how have you carried kind of what you've learned from both disciplines into the work you're doing now? Well, I started out riding um, really young in the hunter-jumper world, and I started because my big sister um, was riding, and my my parents didn't really have money to send me to daycare, and my sister was working, you know, cleaning stalls and stuff at a local barn for her lessons, so I got to be her little shadow and follow her everywhere, so that means we would take, like, two or three buses and take us a few hours to get to the barn, and we'd get there and spend the whole day there, and I was that little kid that was peeking around the corner pretending like I really didn't care. But, you know, I like was peeking around the corner watching my sister jump. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like the coolest thing ever. Um, and so from there, my love of horses really sort of blossomed. And, you know, as I got older, my parents, you know, paid for me to to ride and jump a bit and everything like that. And then when I became a teenager, that money sort of dried up and I had to just figure out how I could keep being on a horse, you know, so it really boiled down to me, like finding a little part-time job at like 13, 14. And, you know, I used to buy my single bale of hay and roll it up onto the, the bus and everything on the wheelchair lift. And, you know, I'd make that out to my, get it out to my horse and everything. And I, you know, took care of her like that. And I just tried to take 
every opportunity I could. And I didn't care what I was sitting on. I didn't care if it was, you know, a mule or a donkey or, you know, somebody's match racing horse or I just, whatever anybody would let me ride and would teach me something, then I would ride it. So I rode a lot of not nice, very dangerous horses because <laughs> I always had a very sticky butt. And so a lot of what I learned, a lot of the good lessons I learned came from trying to avoid pain in very dangerous situations, honestly. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> So I got sounds like Justine and her Craigslist adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely definitely what it was, you know, and I've, I've worked for a few trainers here and there and, you know, just basically I always got tossed everything that nobody wanted and I just had to make the best of it. And so that's what I did. And then I sort of figured out, you know, and I was going between working, you know, 12 hour hospital shifts as a, a vet tech and trying to be a working student and ride some horses to make some extra cash on the side. And I met this lady that was basically like, girl, why are you working so hard? You're never going to go to the Olympics. And I'm really sorry about that. But like the real of it is you're never going to do anything if you don't have money. So get over it and you better just be happy sitting on horses. And she, I didn't like what she had to say, but what she said was like really real to me. And she showed me a way that I could make a living. And I never knew that I could make money just making horses into something that your average everyday Joe could ride. And so I learned a whole heck of a lot by starting a whole hell of a lot of colts. So I pick up those Craigslist horses that, you know, nobody had touched, you know, and I'd look for those feral herds that somebody was dispersing when someone dies or something like that. And I'd pick up those horses that nobody wanted. And I would spend a lot of time with them and turn them into, you know, just nothing fancy, but just safe mounts that, you know, your trail rider, whoever, you know, a trainer wanted something nice to put more time on. I turn it into that horse. And I think that really is what has turned me into the the rider I am today. And I've carried that, you know, all of that stuff that I've learned through life. Wow. Well, Brianna, thank you so much for joining us. This has been awesome to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate all you guys um, putting this together and having me on. So guys, I know we've talked about it before, but it's fall season, which means it's bubble bath season, which means you guys should (laughs) definitely get some soap for dirty questions because it's all things fun and horse, but also they smell delicious. Personally, I like upper level goals, which is like um, a lemongrass and smells super good. And I keep having to buy it because my boyfriend keeps stealing it. Um, we also have our lip balms now too, which smell delicious. You can have nice moisturized lips in the bubble bath while using soaps for dirty equestrians. So that's fun. Check out our shop at shop.heelsdownmag.com. All right, Jess. So I just did my first event in like since the pandemic over the weekend. Nice. And I wanted to ask, yeah, we had a great time. My ho- Mikey was fabulous. But something I noticed, you know, like he's my horse is the fittest he's ever been. And it's, you know, he's doing novice. It's not like I'm asking anything too strenuous of him. But it was a really unseasonably hot day. And by and it was a one day trial. So he had already done his dressage test, jumped around stadium. And then we did cross country. And about halfway through the cross country course, he was just like roaring. And he's not that type of thoroughbred. And I was, I was like worried about his respiratory rate, like listening to his breathing. So I wanted to ask you about how you, you know, how you kind of build up stamina and like, how do you introduce galloping sets? Because I know at speeds beyond a hand gallop, 
Horses, you know, they can increase their speed by increasing their stride length, but it's not like their legs move faster. But I, I always wondered how that affects their breathing. So is there anything you do to help, like, increase their breathing ability when you're galloping? Well, I think they just have to get fit. I mean, it's like, you know, when you're out of shape, you go run, you're like dying a minute in. But like, once right. you kind of get fit and get more on a routine, then you build stamina and everything else. So for us, we make sure they have a baseline. Like you don't want to just go blow them out and like run up a hill really fast. You Mm -hmm. want to do like a basic baseline. So for us, we start that on like a flat surface and we do it in like increments. Everybody does a little bit differently, but for us, we do them three sets. And so we'll do like build up to like three sets of five minutes and then keep going up per minute type thing. So our big horses will go up to eight minutes, usually right before like a four star type thing. And, but then once they have that good baseline, we start incorporating hills and speed. So we make sure they have a baseline of fitness and we incorporate a ton of walking. I know I've talked about this a thousand times on the podcast, but I can't stress enough how much walking helps horses build their stamina and it just keeps their fitness so much Then you don't even, you know, you don't, you kind of put it past like, Oh, I just walked him. Like, what did that do? Well, so we make ours walk for like 45 minutes to like an hour and a half, basically our big, big horses. So we build that base fitness. And then once they have that base fitness to a certain point, depending on what level they're at, then we increase speed and introduce hills. And so they have basically, I know a lot of swimmers and different athletes, runners and stuff, they kind of get to their peak performance and then like taper off right before a big event. So what we do is make sure they're at their peak performance, like basically a week or two out before the big event. And then they maintain that and maybe even go a little down tiny bit, but then they're at their, they're at their peak performance and at their best fitness right for their long event for eventing. Interesting. Okay. So if you want to learn more about how flare strips can help improve your ride, you should visit flare strips. That's F L A I R S T R I P S.com. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. But first I'm excited. We have another guest. We have Danny Newman from Colorado, who's a listener. Hey, Danny. Hey, how are you guys? Good. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, totally. So before we get started, since this episode is coming out around Halloween, we were going to reminisce on some of our best and worst Halloween costumes. <laughs> Do you have a good one you can share with us? Hmm. I remember I was super excited when I was a kid to have this elephant costume and my mom had no idea how to make an elephant costume. So it was pretty much like gray sweats from Walmart with this weird (laughs) bendy trunk. And then I got chicken pox on top of it. So I was, uh, you know, in from the car hanging out at the school, like waving at my friends with chicken pox all over my face and this bendy snout in a great tracksuit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, I don't know how to describe how bad it was. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. It was a bit. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably my worst one. <laughs> so, Jess, do you want to describe the, the Doug costume you just sent us a picture of? Well, that would be the worst. <laughs> I'll start. I guess I can start with that one. Then I'll go to the best. Okay. So, Doug... <laughs> This is, I mean, probably what, seven, eight years ago, something like this. 
Doug decides he is going to be the banana hammock costume or something like that. And I'm telling you, it's literally as bad as it sounds. He then, and it's like a, it's a suit, right? So like he puts it on and it's got like fake chest hair, fake belly, fake like speedo looking thing, everything. So then he goes and gets this like old pair of like, Almost, they've gotten so bad. They're almost like white looking jeans, but they're like jeans. And he cuts them off so short and then ties them with bailing twine because he thinks that will be good. But they're like sort of open ish. So when he's and then he puts like this Hawaiian shirt on with it and he wears this awful like orange trucker hat. And we drew, I took makeup and drew on it fake beard and goatee and all this so he looks super super special and then we go to the bar and I can't tell you how many people turn and look and are like is that is that a real person or is that a costume <laughs> please tell me there's pictures oh yeah I just sent him Justine she's yeah. like what? there's something else yeah there's something Doug in a whole new light <laughs> Because then he I thought he could beat it a couple years later, and he wore the blow-up horse outfit. Oh he was God. a horse, a rider on the horse. So he had this massive blow-up <laughs> horse that he walked around <laughs> the bars in. And I'm like, oh, how you even got kicked out of these bars is beyond me, actually. So those were, yeah, they were something. And I would just always go in, like, plain costumes. Like... My probably best costume I ever wore was when I dressed up Hudson as a lion and I was like a scarecrow, like from Wizard of Oz, like cute. But Doug's best costume, we just like dressing up Doug basically, apparently. Doug's best costume was there was a Grand Prix during Halloween one year or like right around Halloween time, might not have been on the weekend. And they were doing a costume contest. So Doug is a huge Patriots football fan and he has this, we have this mare that's like kind of like bigger, like she's like a big stocky mare type thing. Great show jumper, but like stockier. So we were looking at different costumes and Doug's like, I think she should be Tom Brady and I'll be Bill Belichick. And we went all out. We painted, we got socks, like Patriot socks, like, so that you like wear all the way up. We put white socks all the way up to her ha- like knees on the front. We painted shoes on her feet, all four feet painted shoes, like took black things, took the black, um, you know how they do like the things under their eyes, did that under her eyes, gave her a bonnet, a Patriot bonnet. We decked, she had a football on her, uh, breastplate. We decked out in Patriot stuff. We drew like the number. I think Brady was 13. I really don't know. I'm really not a great football. I love football, but I'm not really good about the numbers. And then Doug dressed up as Bill Belichick and had like the helmet. It was, it was hysterical. And he jumped with, he jumped the first like four fences with Bill Belichick always wears his like hoodie up over his hat. And so Doug did it over his helmet. It was funny. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we, we're big Halloween people apparently here. I yeah, wish I dressed up like more, it. but I don't, I haven't ever really dressed up as an adult too much. I more go out and get drunk and look at other people's really incredibly. Oh no, you got to dress costumes. up. It's the one <laughs> time you can be fun. like, 
Yeah. Yeah, you could be like the trashy whore that's not the trashy whore, or you could be right. like the opposite. <laughs> like you could be like the childhood princess. That's really not appropriate as an adult, but it's super appropriate on <laughs> Halloween. Heck yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I play dress up every day. I'm this excited for all the Joe Exotic costumes this year. Like, you oh, know, yeah. Joe Exotic in every bar. Oh, that's what Matt and I should go as. Heck there yeah. you go. Can you go as Except- Carol Baskin? <laughs> oh, I am Carol Baskin. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Um, oh, you could very easily do that, Ellie. Oh my gosh. It would be so good. It would be pretty okay. good. If, if you win beer at a bar, if you win beer at a bar, you have to give me credit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We need For the shout out. out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I have to say that my best Halloween costume, like for a costume class, this one time when I first got Berkeley, I went as Batman in the Batmobile. So I dressed up as Batman and I put like tires on his front end and his back end. And it was pretty cool. And he was four. So he just kind of dealt with it. He didn't even care. But the year after that was like right after Miley Cyrus came out with that Wrecking Ball song. Oh, did you do that? I did. So I wore that is amazing. I wore a new suit. And I had this this long like Lady Godiva wig, and I chopped it all off, so it was like Miley Cyrus's hair. And then I had created this like hula hoop ball thing that I was going to put on Berkeley, but that like I just couldn't get it to work. So I had this just gray blanket over him, and then I had this stick that I wrapped a chain around. And so I held this stick over him, and then I had my sister lead me, and I had her play the music, and I was like lip syncing. Um, so that I think is my claim to fame. I have photos of that. I'll put that. I was going to say, yeah, we definitely need photo evidence of that. Oh, holy moly. Yeah. It was, it was my best thing. Also, the nude suit didn't really fit well. So (laughs) it's quite a sight to see. Oh my gosh. Well, on that note, I think we need to, we need to like transition into, yeah, Rosenthorn. He wants to go first. (laughs) Danny, do you want to go? Sure. Yeah. Um, What do you got? I guess I'll start with my rose. So I finally got pictures from the first hundred pair pace I ever went to two weekends ago and they turned out really awesome, but it was my first kind of air quotes show with my horse. It was pretty low key, but um, I have a Mustang and I live pretty much three hours from any show. And it was a big deal to go down there for the weekend and pair up with a rider at my trainer's barn and go around the course. And there were 25 jump efforts and we did 21 out of 25. So I was um, super happy with that. It's only our second summer jumping. Uh, We're in the mountains and get a ton of snow and I don't have an indoor. So I'm pretty limited. I can only jump a few months out of the year. So yeah, I was, I was super happy to end the season on that note. And it was like my childhood dream. Like Colorado was always so dry and sunny and we woke up and it looked like we were in Ireland. Like these clouds had settled in, everything was wet. It was like these beautiful fall colors in the background and just really awesome. So that's definitely my rose two weeks later still. That sounds awesome. Oh, yeah. So he was, he was super brave and um, that's all I could ask for. And then I was telling Justine via text, I didn't really have a thorn until about 15 minutes before I was supposed to be out here to record. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My dog ran off on me and kind of caused some drama in the pasture, but we just got 
a foot of snow outside and it's been this crazy cold snap for two days and I don't have water heaters out. I was totally unprepared. So I went over to the water trough and I'm like literally dropping boulders in it to break through the five inches of ice that formed. Gosh, Um, wow. (laughs) I get done dropping boulders and I turn around and my dog's gone and I've been working from home. So I'm in my pajamas and it, even though it's five o'clock at night and I run inside, get my jacket. He's down at the neighbor's house got a buddy, ended up in the pasture, and my donkey saw him at the same time that I saw him. And donkeys are dog aggressive for the most part. Like, they'll run off and kill coyotes and mountain lions, and um, that's why we got him. So we both saw the dog at the same time, and I, like, ran over to him, got between them, and was like a football player, like, blocking the donkey and yelling at him to keep him away from my dog. So that was my drama 15 minutes before coming in to get on the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Gotta love dogs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But the donkey didn't get him. So I'm happy. You know, it was all good. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, Ellie, do you have yours? I do. So I did my, my cow horse clinic a couple weekends ago with both my Western horses and it was a lot of fun. Both of my horses actually took to the cows really well. And my, my little colt, his mom was actually there at the clinic. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I, I didn't know how he would be because he hasn't been off the property or in a trailer really since I moved to my house. Um, so I literally loaded this horse on the trailer, no prep or nothing. I mean, he's just turned four this year got on him and I ride him in a Basel, which is like a hackamore. Basically. I don't even use a bit. And (laughs) he was just perfect. Like there were like 10 horses in the ring. He was like, yeah, whatever. And I was really surprised. And he actually took off with me after a cow, which sounds bad, but it's actually a good thing in terms of, you know, making him cowy, but it was a lot of fun. So that was my rose. My thorn is that, one of my one of my barn cats, my lady barn cat, her name is Leia, brother to Luke, who is also a barn cat. She all of a sudden came back from one of her excursions. Sometimes she's gone for three days at a time, and I don't know where she goes, but she comes back. Um, and she came back and she her belly is really big. Uh-oh. And I brought her to the vet, which is where I work. And I brought her in and I did a fecal test on her and we, you know, are deworming her even though her fecal sample was negative. So we're going to do some blood work and hopefully she's not pregnant. I was just going to say, are you going to have some cats? Well, so she, she's been spayed, but there are some cases where they don't get everything they need to get. Um, And they still get pregnant. That would be your luck, Ellie. I'm, I'm terrified that this cat is, well, I also don't want her to be sick. It's scary because she's got this big pot belly, you know, but I also like, I'm like, what's worse to be sick or to be pregnant? I'm like, I don't know. I can't do this. (laughs) I was like, if I have more cats, I don't know. I'm going to have a cat farm. I'm going to have a cat pasture. (laughs) It's going to be like that, like that cat commercial, like the cat herding commercial. It's the <laughs> cat metropolis. About? Remember? It's the cat metropolis. Uh, oh god. So that's my thorn. Hopefully I can get her to feel better. I mean she doesn't really feel badly, I guess. She just Oh, hopefully she's just fat. Let's just... <laughs> just hope she's fat. Oh my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, Jess, what do you got? So my rose is that it is, Doug always makes fun, but it's my birthday week slash it's been my birthday month, but I like to celebrate, especially the week. So this week is my birthday week and it's been fun so far. I've gotten some great presents and spent some time with some good people. So yeah, that is definitely my rose is it's my birthday week and that always love my birthday week. Cause it's always Halloween as well. So fun. And then my thorn is that if you guys can't understand or hear me is that my sinuses and allergies have been on fire the last couple days. So I sound pretty amazing. So that is definitely my thorn is that it's driving me nuts. And I just keep having to like take sinus medicine, but I keep traveling back and forth from North Carolina, South Carolina between Tryon and Aiken. And one place will be bad with allergies and I get to the next one. I'm like, Oh, it's a relief. And then it's flip flop the next time. I'm like, Oh, I can't get this under control. So that's definitely my thorn. Oh my goodness. Well, I hope you feel better Yeah. and happy early birthday. Yeah. yeah thanks. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> so one year older, one year older. Yeah. All right. So I don't know if my, I'm just going to make it my thorn. So sorry, Ellie, it's not really a thorn, but I had a dream okay. about you. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream about oh. you the other day. Oh my gosh. And my dream was, um, we talked on the phone last week, Ellie and I, like just about random life things. And I think that's what inspired this dream, Ellie. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had this dream that I was visiting you in Pennsylvania and I had like, like I flew into a little tiny airport and then had to drive in the snow to get to your farm. And I was, you know, like the whole time I was like, right. why am I doing this? This is crazy. And so I got to your house and your boyfriend proposed to you while I was there and he tied he tied the wedding ring onto the cat to like surprise you. <laughs> oh my god. That's, that was well, my now it. I know it's a dream. Now I know it's a dream because he would never touch one of the cats long enough to do that. That's amazing. So. <laughs> oh. I remember waking up the next morning like, why am I thinking about this in my subconscious? <laughs> but I there hope, you go. well, it pays somebody God. one day to put a ring around the cat. Like, I hope that he does it. <laughs> like, I felt like in my dream, he like braided it into the hair, like the cat's hair, oh which seems. Like- Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. So, a, a funny side note on that. So, Matt doesn't like the cats, right? He has a fear of cats, which is fine. Whatever. I have six. In any case, um, we, we do scavenger more. hunts. Yeah, yeah. hopefully not six more. We do scavenger hunts for each other. And one time I put one of the clues underneath the fat cat on the couch and he had to try to move it. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. A side note, but. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like your presence underneath Pearl. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was like, that's not funny. He's like oh, trying to okay. shoo her away with hawk gloves. All right. Well, what's your rose other than dreaming about me? Yeah, <laughs> that that's a real rose. Is that she dreamed about you? Yeah, that I dreamed about you. It's hard to top that. <laughs> but my rose is that I uh, I just very spontaneously got a tattoo last week, but you I still did? like it, so that's a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> what is it of? What'd you get? It's a it's an orange blossom on my arm. I'll send you guys a picture. Oh, I saw oh, this on nice. Instagram. Yes. You Floridian, yeah. you. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I just like randomly felt like going and it's it's like something where you you have to go by yourself because of the pandemic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like you can even make it a social thing. And I was like, I'm going to go do this. And I just did it. So I think that's okay. amazing. You got Aww. quarantine tatted. I did. That's basically, yeah. I, I did. Out to a tattoo artist during quarantine about getting a floral piece on my or- inner forearm. And she hasn't reached out back. So I don't know if it's a good thing or not. But um, That's exactly yeah. where I got mine. It's my inner forearm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, because I haven't told anybody yet in my family. (laughs) Oops. Oops. (laughs) But hey, Danny, thanks so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So we got this mailbag from Jocelyn in our Facebook group. And it's a follow up to our last podcast episode where we had Caitlin and Leah on to talk about body positivity and inclusivity. And I just thought it was timely, but also, you know, just you being a trainer and working with clients, I was hoping you could offer Jocelyn some advice. So here's what she says. She says she's a trainer. And so she purposely does not ask about body shape or size but more, she you know turns the conversation about fitness and being fit enough for your horse. That said, she recently had a conversation with a student about fitness and discovered that this student struggles with eating. She's not anorexic, but she seriously struggles with food and that she doesn't like the feeling of being full. So she's very picky about what she eats. So Jocelyn's looking for advice on how do you generally approach this topic with your student? And, uh, you know, as trainers and coaches who should be, you know, keeping what's best in mind for the horse and the rider, how do you approach the need to increase fitness regardless of someone's physical size or shape? What do you think? So for us, we try to kind of lead by example. And so we just kind of, you know, say, look, we're going to eat healthy, exercise, you know, just make comments like not towards the people or whatever, but like Doug and I try to exercise as well as just not riding the horses. So we're always like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, like to that, just showing them what we do on a daily basis. Like, okay, we're going to go work out. We're going to go do this. We're going to do, you know, 10 minute exercise at the house just to get something in to feel better. And so then we talk about also, you know, when we're on the road and everything else, it's easier to show them what we eat and everything, but trying to eat healthier and no one's perfect, but like, you know, we all want to have a piece of cake and all the rest of it. But like, just by saying like, Hey, like, you know, just leading by example, we are big, big breakfast people. So like when we hear people that are like, Oh, I didn't eat breakfast. We're like, you know, that is not healthy for you, right? Like it is so much healthier. You will feel better if you eat breakfast. Doesn't matter if it's a banana. Doesn't matter if it's a cliff bar. It doesn't matter if it's a something simple, eat some type of breakfast. And so we just try to really do it by, you know, putting it out there and saying all this. So like maybe it kind of feels repetitive and they kind of pick it up and it's like, okay, well let's go for a walk. Let's do, you know, just things that like try to keep people moving and keep people, you know, having good habits and good, healthy habits. That's good advice. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I like to think like being at the barn, you know, it's not just on the trainer to help with this, but I feel like you, you are almost subconsciously influenced by the people around you. Like when I go to a horse show, I bring enough like fruit and snacks for everybody, you know, in my cooler and like we share and like 
hey, yeah. you're about to go run cross country. Do you want to eat this tangerine before you go? Like quick energy, get something in your stomach. You know what I mean? Like I feel like with my friends at the barn, like we share that, you know, and then like we'll have a white claw when we're done with the horse show. But it's, you know, it's like a give and take, you know? Yeah, um, right. Like here's my glass of wine, but here's my banana. That will even itself out. Right. <laughs> But that is hard, you know, and I can see how it's tricky um, coming from a professional standpoint, you know. But if you have goals as a rider, I feel like you've got to take your diet into account, you know. Like, when I I eat better, I ride better, generally, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, for me to go around like a big cross country, I was having to do a ton of exercise on top. I mean, we've talked about this about fitness of the horse and the person that's riding it of the rider that we used to have to do. I used to have to personally do a ton of extra fitness to be physically fit, to keep up with my horse. So I didn't get off cross country, like feeling kind of dying. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that doing novice. (laughs) So I can't even imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Guys, I can't or once around the arena after I have a piece of cake and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it around again. So, and my arena is not that big. So, you know, you definitely, I mean, you, when you eat all that stuff, you just, you, you feel kind of, I don't know how to like groggy. Not good. Yeah. 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 And I feel like our sport is weird that not everybody talks about it. Like, like an athletic endeavor yeah but it's but yeah you got to think you are an athlete if you're expecting your horse to go jump around a even just a like a three foot course but you're going to go do a whole hunter division you know what i mean like you need to be fit for your horse you just it's part of it you know it's part of being successful i think and And being being fair to your animal and being safe to be honest yeah you know yeah so it's it's all part of it well, if you have a question you want us to talk about on air, you can always send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com or you can join our Facebook group. We always have lively conversations going on there and you might see some uh, pretty silly Halloween pictures soon or Ellie's video to Reese Witherspoon maybe. So you can join our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us, you can subscribe to the Heels Down Brief, our daily email newsletter, by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. And we want to say thank you to our partners this week, Equal Gold, Flare, and Soap for Dirty Equestrians. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.